You're listening to PorchDrinking.com's The Porchcast, brought to you by ONTAP Credit Union. And now, The Porchcast. All right, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode 108 of The Porchcast. Uh, we are broadcasting you from broadcasting from the basement of Good Zur here in Denver, Colorado, for a very special GABF edition of The Porchcast. Uh, I am joined by a special co-host for the evening, uh, Russell Hainline. Russell, what's up, man? What's going on? Uh, I'm on four hours of sleep. I've had several beers, and this is the perfect time to podcast. Let's go. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we weren't able to be joined by our two normal uh, co-hosts. Uh, Bryant Vanderweird is going to be flying into Denver uh, for a little reunion tour uh, starting tomorrow. And then, as you heard in the last episode, Corey's out in the Philippines somewhere. Uh, so I, I called in a, a little favor. We called in our, our uh, closer for the evening. Russell flew in from L.A., and he's, he's joining us to talk all things beer. ABC, always be closing. Yes. That's me. There we go. And Their uh, loss is my gain. We are thrilled to be joined by two very good friends of the podcast. We've got Primitive Beer here, and we also have Cohesion and uh, coincidentally enough, the three of us have teamed up on a pretty cool event here at Good Zoer, um, called uh, Hard Brew Easy Drink, which features spontaneous and wild beers as well as lagers. So we're going to be talking to both parties here shortly. But before we do, as you know, we got to pay the bills. So we're going to jump into some ad reads. Uh, first and foremost, we want to we thank our friends at ONTAP Credit Union. ONTAP Credit Union isn't your average financial partner. They make banking as easy as enjoying your favorite beverage while providing great financial advice in a friendly and welcoming environment. With ONTAP, Colorado comes first, which is why they offer low loan rates for cars, homes, credit cards, and more. And with ONTAP's mobile app, you can have instant access to your accounts, whether you're meeting friends at a local brewery, out on the slopes, or wherever your next adventure takes you. Member owned, Colorado proud, friendly insured through NCUA. Learn more at ONTAPCU.org. Also, the payroll department. The payroll department has been proud to serve Colorado's many craft breweries for 30 years. With integrated payroll, timekeeping, HR solutions, benefits, and paperless onboarding, the friendly and helpful team at the payroll department can take care of your business while you focus on doing what you do best, making good beer. And with the payroll department's new easy-to-use app and online platform, your days of waiting through paperwork are over. You and your employees can easily access all of your information right at your fingertips. Each brewery in our state is crafting something unique that brings together community and makes this place feel like home. Don't let payroll and HR take you away from your passion. The payroll department is here to help. For more information, email marketing at payrolldept.biz or visit them online at payrolldept.biz. All righty. That takes care of all the business. Let's jump right into it. First up, I want to welcome Brandon and Lisa Bolt from Primitive Beer to join us uh, on episode 108 on the Porchcast. Guys, how's it going? hey oh it's going great thanks for having us yeah thanks for joining us today uh and thanks for putting on this pretty rad event we're so excited about it yeah. yeah so tell us a little bit more about the trajectory of primitive and you know all things that have evolved for for those who are who are listening to the porchcast and aren't familiar you all focus primarily on spontaneous and wild beers correct Fully spontaneous. Fully spontaneous. Yeah, yeah okay. and completely focused on it. Yeah, there's uh, no other uh, if, ands, or buts. That's it. We're just, uh, we kind of pretend that we are a Lambic producer that got kicked out of the correct geographic appellation and now just make what we call method traditional beer in the beautiful state of Colorado with only Colorado ingredients. 
Very cool. And, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about what you guys do, you guys are, are located in Longmont, Colorado, correct? Yep, that's right. And you all really embrace kind of, you know, the you you all place ingredients first, which is something that I think is, is incredibly important and, you know, not in this day and age, not always valued uh, right. in, in the craft beer scene. Um, but, you know, beyond just what people may think of spontaneous beers, I think you all have broadened that horizon. Tell us a little bit more about your beer program as a whole. And, you know, for, for those who might not be familiar with the brewery, run us through the gamut of, of all the kind of fun, unique things that you all have produced over the years. Yeah. Well, to touch on the um, agriculture and ingredients side of it, all of our grains are grown in Colorado. Mm -hmm. They're malted in Fort Collins. Uh, the hops are all from up in the mountains. When we do fruit projects, they're also grown in the mountains. The water is obviously Rocky Mountain snow melt. <laughs> and then because we do all spontaneous beer, the yeast is from, you know, within 10 feet of our building. So about as local as it gets. And uh, we're really excited that we get to support the agriculture here in the state. We have really incredible agriculture. And it does cut down on, you know, transportation and the carbon footprint. And you get to support people who live here and farmers and maltsters and everyone involved. Now, um, I think you can... It's pretty easy to tell that you all were inspired by the old world kind of approach towards brewing. Tell us a little bit about kind of that inspiration and, and how you've been able to translate that here in Colorado with, you know, within this modern contemporary kind of landscape of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for us, a big part of this project was not to try and uh, necessarily imitate or clone flavors. For example, there are a lot of breweries that want to, for example, take the flavor of Cantillon and find a way to make a sour beer at their brewery that has or alludes to those kind of flavor profiles. For us, a lot of it has to do with taking an exact technique, but allowing whatever flavors develop uh, to showcase in their own ways. So we speak about Tawar in the typically in the mindset of wines and how the soil and the climate can affect annual grape harvests and then the uh, commensurate wines. For us, we're trying to showcase that idea of, uh, of Tawar, that local environment, that time and place, by virtue of not only the microbes in our space, but also similarly from an agricultural standpoint, as Lisa was mentioning, the different harvests of the, the barley, how our maltsters are able to work with it and how we use it on the, uh, you know, in our brew house or the brew houses we visit, the raw wheat, the hops that we age ourselves. And then anytime we decide to work with a fruit or other adjunct you know, those all have a different imprint that will, if we decide to make, quote unquote, the same beer twice, it will always be different. Not to mention that this style of beer is a moving target where once we put something into package, it in itself is also changing. So there's something that is maybe counterintuitive about starting a project like this. If most modern breweries are attempting to be able to reproduce the same beer multiple times because people enjoy what they've tasted and they want to taste it again, for us, we're actually going the opposite direction, which is saying you'll probably never have that same experience twice. Even if we're seeking to create similar flavor profiles and similar blends or blends that speak to us in the same way or bring us to kind of a, a time and place in our life, that's also, you know, comparing it to our own imagination in that way. So I would say That's our kind of the fun of the spontaneous side of things is that, you know, not everything is going to be exactly the same. Absolutely. Right? And as a selfish brewer, blender, whatever, 
we've kind of picked a trajectory where I'm not going to get bored by this. <laughs> I can I can stick within this niche. I can stick within this exact specificity and hopefully explore the infinitesimal as opposed to the infinite. Have these guardrails and just keep chugging along, playing within this space, um, and and seeing what you know. Even how our moving target of of a palette changes over time, and what we like, and getting to at least take our followers on that. Uh, on that journey, on that voyage uh, as well. Now, I think it's it's funny. You, you, you mentioned playing in this space because I, I think that that's very apropos to your all's approach. You know, first and foremost, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to shortcome uh, or, 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 you know, shortcut on, on, on what you guys are, are saying in, in the sense that, you know, you take what you're, you, you take what you do very seriously. And you execute at such a high level, but you also manage to keep the brewery fun and, 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 and you do so in a way so that, you know, while it is tradition inspired, you're, you're not so pigeonholed into doing things only a certain way and, and having to abide by just strictly the traditional methods of brewing. You know, the fact that you all are, are utilizing more modern, modern ingredients to, diversify your you know your beers and also um you know bring a little bit of a unique spin to you know this very traditional style is is something that i think has made uh primitive so exciting and 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 fun and playful and uh, even you know reviving traditional techniques like beer poking you know that's <laughs> something that's that's pretty cool and you know a little bit outside of what people would think of with spontaneous um uh, but you you make it all weave together and while still remaining truly authentic to who, who you Thank are. Thank you. I think we try and put our personality in it because if we're the ones doing it every day and living it and talking about it, like we want it to be about us and about be fun. Absolutely. And if people like what we're putting out there, then they'll like our us or our beer, you know, vice versa. So um, we try and have fun with the names and, you know, if we see cool ingredients that you know are available and in Colorado especially like recently we did wet hops um, in a two-year blend and it was a indigenous cultivar like really exciting stuff Um, I don't know we just kind of go for it yeah yeah I'd say I kind of have two things on that one is that if we're taking the beers that we make seriously and our process seriously we have to counterbalance that with their personality which is (laughs) silly Um, so if we do things you know we, we we take what we what we make seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. We got to just be silly. And a lot of these events, the name, uh, <laughs> hard <laughs> brew, easy, easy drink. drink in itself <laughs> is just, as you'll talk to cohesion soon, they're our best friends. And, uh, you know, much like hot beer and everything else, it's typically just us sitting around a table, uh, probably it doing sense. Yeah. You know, it'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. Drinking beers and like doing sensory on it. And then yeah. also getting, you know, goofy as fuck, just being our, our silly selves. So, Um, I would say that's a big part of it. I would also say that the fact that while we are only making method traditional beer, the double-edged sword of not being able to call our beer Lambic, which would be so much easier and so much more (laughs) straightforward, but by virtue of respecting that, we're not then beholden to maybe more of that stuffiness of that traditionalism. So it does allow us to pick and choose other traditions and other obscure I won't even say uh, necessarily, you know, restricted to beer, but other drinking traditions that are fun to try and bring into the fold uh, for primitive beer. Uh, you know, we've 
in the most recent season did something we're calling Spongria, which is basically <laughs> making sangria with uh, with our you know spontaneous beer as a base and using one of our wine hybrids. And to some people, that's like a big waste of a beer that took us three years to make to just chuck a bunch of fresh fruit in it. Oh but it gosh. tastes so good yeah. and it's fun and you can say Spongria. And it's a way <laughs> of all, something yeah. that you all enjoy drinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. right. And first and foremost, you know, we're selfish in that way. If we yeah. don't enjoy the actual process of drinking it and making it, we're not going to do it. But there's a lot of things, you know, we're, we're all human beings. We all enjoy more than just the process of making a Lambic inspired beer. You know, it's uh, so being able to add that depth of our personality into a business, which is just two people. I mean, uh, maybe we're also fortunate in that scale in that, we don't have to uh, really we share the board of directors. Yeah. We don't have to share the spotlight. If we want to do something, we kind of just do it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now I want to slowly start beginning to transition to cohesion here. Um, but in doing so, tell me about how this idea of hard brew, easy drink came about. Um, we're going to welcome Eric Larkin onto the show as well so that you guys, so that uh, Brandon and Eric can kind of share in this moment <laughs> together. Hi but, Eric. Uh, you know, I, I think first and foremost, Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you. Um, I also want to say, you know, it's it's pretty cool because both of you all are inspired by tradition and what you all do at your respective breweries. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Cohesion, uh, they focus on Czech-style lagers. And, um, you know, I think, you know, on the surface, thinking about spontaneous beers and lagers may not immediately cross over, but I think that there's a lot of uh, similarities between the two. And, uh, yeah, I want to hear a little bit about how this event came, came about to begin with. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, obviously uh, Brandon and I have been friends for, I mean, since since I moved to Colorado, we worked together. We've we've been, uh, my wife and I moved here about eight years ago, and we've been hanging out and drinking beer ever since along the same lines. And we fell into the same idea of thinking a long time ago and realized that we're basically like beer wives. That's right. Uh, so we have our, our actual legal wives and we have our <laughs> beer wives. Who are both uh, named Lisa, so that's Yes, extra, yes. Also, yeah. uh, a, <laughs> a strange that coincidence. That has never been made before, I'm sure. <laughs> Not on a podcast yet, I think. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I think, you know, there's we, we it's, it's fun to hear Brandon talk about beer the way that he does, even just right now, because a lot of it, I, it, it applies to what we do too. So the, the being in a smaller box, being adherent to tradition, but also stepping slightly outside to do things that we find interesting. That's a lot of the same way that we approach cohesion. We use local malt. If, if uh, Colorado could grow more noble hop varietals, we would use more noble hop varietals in Colorado, but there's a lot of the same reasons that we've picked the traditions that we have. You know, it's a tradition that's not widely adopted both the lambic style brewing and the czech lager brewing haven't been widely represented in colorado and i think uh we both know that these styles take a lot of attention to detail a lot of focus uh but when you make one that is balanced correctly and uh can satisfy the palate you know in the right ways it it goes down really easy so uh <laughs> but it it takes it takes a lot of work i think and a lot of attention to detail and focus and meticulousness to get all of the things uh, right to, to put that together. So uh, I, I don't know, I'm pretty sure Brandon said the phrase hard brew easy drink first. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> who's to say? I give it to the group, I think it's I a, think it was a, yeah. Yeah, like, it all, it was, <laughs> yeah. it it was fe- a brainstorm and there are no bad ideas. <laughs> yeah. But it but it fits perfectly with both of our ethos and that we, you know, take a style that I think everyone 
who has made a beer, you know, understands how difficult the process can be just to make any beer. But then you look at these styles that uh, the, the meticulousness and detail, we can focus on them to get something that is easy to drink. It, it kind of fit with both of our, our styles. So um, I, I did like also looking at uh, with with my wife, Lisa, where the pronunciation goes in hard brew easy drink that was that was like is it hard brew period <laughs> easy drink period is it hard brew comma e- but yeah yeah it's yeah. it's uh it's a it's a nice phrase that i think does succinctly uh put together what what we're doing and and i i i hope and i think i am correct in thinking that this is just the the launching pad for something that we're hoping to evolve and, and grow over the years, correct? A global hard brew easy drink initiative. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> that is uh, absolutely, we are, you know, as governments falter and fail, I think there's room for us to fill those uh, political vacuums and, uh, you know, the sky's this still in a, it. This is a unifying flag, I think, for yeah. a lot of people. Right. You know? Uh, I, yeah, I, I think both ends of the spectrum are covered. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As, uh, yeah. Um, I would say also there's something that tickles us as, you know, articles have come out about the Brewers Association over years saying, well, let's stop using the term crushability. Uh, we've tr- really tried to lean harder into it, <laughs> uh, you know, especially making beers that, uh, you know, take a long time and we hope you know people can enjoy for the nuance and the balance and uh you know the depth of flavor we're also okay with people saying like nah that's 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 crushable let's uh you know let's yeah. drink a few of these and, and it is today it's still beer and you got to be able to enjoy it right? exactly right and it, and then, yeah it is i don't i don't know the the czech translation yet but the when the czechs talk about beer a lot they talk about drinkability that is like when you hear czech brewmasters talk about what the goal is with the end product it's it's drinkability we want you to take a sip and then want to take another sip and then want to take another sip until you've had 15 beers like that's that's their goal is to make a beer that you you're just it's just drinkable and that's that's a key focus of how they design and think about their beers so mm. it's it it fits in very well with this this mantra yeah now and i want to talk a little bit about kind of the you know we talked about the the roots of primitive let's transition over a little bit to kind of how cohesion got started i know that you all uh you all went on kind of a transformative trip to the Czech Republic. And that was kind of what inspired your kind of next big move in the, in the beer industry. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, my wife and I went on our honeymoon in 2018, uh, at the suggestion of my dad, uh, he said, you, I think you would like Prague. I think you would like the beer there. Um, I, I'd never visited the country, but he'd been able to visit once before. So he kind of forced it on us, if you will. And, and we spent a weekend there and it was definitely eye-opening to try the beers in, in the place. Like, like the same experience we had in Belgium all together, all four of us have traveled to Belgium together, mm-hmm. having the beers in the place, it, it brings a different perspective to what you're drinking. And I had never been to Prague or tried those beers. And once I did, I said, you know, this, this is not when I drink what's labeled as a Czech Pilsner in the U.S., it doesn't quite taste like this. And, and why? <laughs> doesn't drink the same. Doesn't drink the same. And, and why is that? And digging into it, you know, I realized a, s- a series of uh, both process steps and service methods that a lot of people weren't doing for one reason or another. And it was something that we thought we could bring to the, the U.S. And, you know, there was a lot of German lager representation, but Czech lager was kind of uh, a, a, a hole that we could we could help to, to supply people with. And they're... they're a huge locker or beer drinking country. They drink the most per capita and it's not close. They drink a lot of beer. I mean, I even, I was just there two weeks ago and it's, I, t- I heard this anecdote from the, a guy I work with in, in Jatets, which is the Saz growing region. And he said, there's two pubs across the street in this town 
one pub the beer is 28 crowns which is like a dollar 25 and the pub across the street the beer is 29 crowns so you're talking about a five cent difference but he said if, if the pub across the street raises their price to 30 crowns all of their customers would go to the 28 crown <laughs> pub because they drink it's not just the five cents it's the five cents per 10 beers i drink every night per 30 days in a month oh my goodness. so then i'm spending compound an interest it's yeah a, i mean they, they compound the cost and they're like mm, yeah this is a little different and that again that mentality the the amount of time they spend at the pub it's not just about the beer because that's the place you hang out it really is their third place and and that you know it's so important to their culture and they they think about it like ah, i can't i can't spend 30 crowns on a beer i need to spend 28 crowns on a beer so it's just such it was such an important part of a culture and one that we've enjoyed sharing with people here. And, and you know, similarly as what we were talking about with Primitive, you know, on the surface to, to maybe just the, the lay beer drinker, you know, you think about Czech lagers and I think most people think of like, oh, it's, you know, you just got your Czech Pilsners or whatever. But one of the things that I've loved is seeing how diverse your all's portfolio has become over the past few years. and. And so talk a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the diversity of styles that you all have been able to experiment with and um, and showcase throughout the, the years that you all have been open. Yeah, and to continue to draw parallels, I think, to, you know, this event and, and the Belgian tradition, I, I, I do think there's such a wide breadth of, you know, Lambic and Goose is one word, and Czech lager is one word, or even if you got more specific and you said, okay, just a 12-degree Czech lager. What's super interesting is, yes, Pilsner Raquel represents that tradition for us, sure. Cantillon for the Belgian producers, but there's so much more than that. There is such a wide breadth of intensity of different parts of flavors, and it's one of the things I love about the Czech tradition so much is that we all know Pilsner Urquell. We all have an idea of what that beer is in our head, but there are 400 or 500 breweries in the Czech Republic. They all make a beer that's in that style, mm -hmm. and all of them are different. Some are sweet. Some are bitter. Some are hoppy. Some are you know, just a very different expression. And I think that it's been interesting and fun for me to be inside of a smaller box, to have less of a um, experimental range, right? I only have so many ingredients and flavors I can play with, but I know that there's such a breadth to that that we can play with. We can offer a beer that is bitter and kind of uh, less malty, less malt forward, or we can offer a very malt forward beer right all within the same style within the same process within the same name for what a beer is and to me um exploring that personally has been really exciting kind of forcing myself into a smaller box and figuring out where how big this box can be has been really exciting so we can we can offer you know one one style one description but offer people very different experiences on the same beer which again i think is similar to what primitive does where they say okay well, yeah we have this spontaneous beer but you know for them it's it's a lot of the barrel and the fermentation that drives what that beer can be but it offers so many different experiences in terms of uh fermentative flavor and acidity barrel character things like that like there's so much to play with within a small box and it's one of the things i love about tech lager so russell hainline beer travel guide i've got a question here uh, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine I'm in like the uh, the White House, like you know, yeah, yeah, people yeah. are calling on me. Do, yeah. Um, you know, I love that you said the small box because it sort of goes to the question I had for both of you all. You know, we've seen a lot of breweries over the past couple of years as they try to get larger. Uh, it ultimately ends up failing. 
and we've seen, at least I've seen, a lot of the breweries that try to hunker down and be smaller and be even more specific, uh, they tend to be ones that I, maybe they don't have like the massive success that people might you know, think in terms of giant conglomerates or whatever, but they're able to sustain doing something very passionate and very specific. And so, you know, this idea of getting really specific uh, and being in a small box and, and remaining quote-unquote small, right? Uh, I, I just want to hear from both of you about that in terms of business model going forward uh, because both of you are doing very well, uh, at least from the outside. <laughs> uh, you know, how, how do you sustain doing something that I feel like people from the outside would think this is so specific, right like is that is that just the future of beer or is that uh how, how do we how do we reconcile that with what people think about what beer should be? i mean i think to be very clear neither of us are scrooge mcducking in our piles of, of gold <laughs> in our vaults uh we we are definitely not you know the you're doing a podcast there's no way you're scrooge McDuck. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah i i would i would say that we are beautiful on the outside and i hope someone does call us beautiful and we are like a rotting corpse on the inside we are uh no we are we are not nearly sustainable yet honestly we started this mm. up um as a passion project with full size you know like full-time uh, jobs on the side right now we're in that ugly duck stage where we're figuring out how to make it sustainable and that will require uh some growth but that growth will still be way below, like where we eventually plateau, if we do it correctly, will still be way below the volume output of even most modest brew pubs. I mean, our volumetric output package-wise per year at our greatest year, which was last year, thank you everyone, uh, was 80 volumetric barrels, <laughs> which is about the, uh, yeah, for, <laughs> that's like a turn of uh, Sierra Nevada you know, one of their multiple turns a day out of their system. Yeah. So, like, yeah, just I mean, to give Al it... Allagash has about a 75-barrel brew house. Right. And they turn it about four or five times a day. So, right. yeah, so one one of those yeah. brews... But, they're, but yeah. they're also the stalwarts, right? There are a lot of yes. people who are I've trying to yeah, yeah. escalate their barrel output totally. who are I, finding immense yeah. struggle. I yes. just wanted... Yeah, and a brewery that we both worked at, Odd 13, for a while, I think when they were finally at their, their uh, greatest, they were doing about 10,000 volumetric barrels per year. So I just want to give context to even a smaller in-state brewery yeah. that wasn't regional so we have the ability to grow more than we are now sure. while still remaining super small and that's what we're aiming for we we'd rather grow and maybe to answer your question more about what does our vision look like and where do we need to be rather than just uh, shitting on ourselves a little bit is well self-deprecation has always been part of our uh, kind of our uh, yeah, modus operandi but I think one of the values that we hold most is growing inward rather than growing outward, being able to be more self-sustainable and from the beginning know our producers, know our growers, know our farmers, et cetera. Um, and that is part of what you know our vision for our growth includes is really trying to still stay within that local market, understand where there's area to within our own guidelines, um, put more uh, beers out there, but also understanding doing limited drops to some other markets. For example, we do a, a, a pallet or two, which is again, small in the scheme of things, to New York uh, a year and to Chicago and to California internationally to places like China and Australia and Europe. So those uh, small drops of beer help us in the sense that we make something 
that is extremely niche. It's going to be more niche than lager is. Someone can pick up a lager and not necessarily know the intricacies of a Czech lager versus a German lager versus an American, continental European, et cetera, et cetera, but understand, okay, this is going to be a malt forward a beer that has bitterness as a structure, falls within a certain amount of ABV, et cetera. If someone just blindly picks up a primitive beer, A, they might think either, nope, this isn't beer, or B, my beer has changed in a way that this is probably not what the uh, producer meant to actually put out to market. So a, a term that we throw around or a phrase is kind of find your people. And if, you know, sure. back of envelope, one out of every 10,000 people find themselves loving minimalist interventions, spontaneous, you know, wine, ciders, beers, etc. Being able to go to specialty shops, restaurants, and different markets where maybe there's a greater density of people, all of a sudden we're able to find more of our people at a given time. So we're not trying to play the game which has failed so frequently of let's put our beer as far out there as possible into every store, into every pub, and our package will sell itself, and you know that's going to be our market strategy. For us, it's more about finding the people that we can that already know they love these low-intervention fermentations, uh, people who are a little more experimental with their palate and willing to engage in sensory activities and exercises, whether it's beer or food or, you know, anything else. And also, especially in our tasting room, helping to educate those who are not familiar yet with it. I mean, th we're only open three days a week, but it's either Lisa or myself behind the bar serving those beers. And we are there to basically take you on the journey, go as far into the rabbit hole as you'd like, learn about these flavors, talk about them. Even if it's not a flavor profile that you enjoy, that's a worthwhile venture to go down and figure out why don't you like that flavor profile? Right. I mean, it's becoming self-aware about your own interests and your own desires and all of that. I think that that can be fun even when it's not finding your favorite thing in the world. So I, I want to hear from Eric on it too, but uh, just to clarify, uh, just a, a quick follow-up, so that incremental barrel growth that you're looking for, do you, you feel that's going to come from doubling down on that niche, like continuing to niche down and finding people, like fi finding the very passionate people that are very into that niche rather than like say, do a hazy IPA drop. Totally. Right? I, I mean, I, one of the things that we say a lot is we'd rather fail doing what we love than succeed um, doing something. <laughs> so, I, put. yeah, you know, <laughs> if, if that works. Um, I, I, there are absolutely, so uh, there's, in the Lambic culture and sticking within those, that framework and then those, uh, you know, guardrails of pretending that we're a Lambic producer now kicked out of that appellation. There's another beverage that's called Mertz, which is basically traditionally the second runnings of all of the ingredients um, that are used in the first part of the process. So the evening that you've got Lambic uh, wort in the cool ship cooling, you've actually got those second runnings boiling all 18 hours so that the next night you put that what would be table strength wort in the cool ship and that goes into barrels the, uh, you know, the following morning. So the idea is it's possible if we had the equipment and if we had um, the time and, and the resources to do so, we could have a product that turns around in three to six months instead of call it you know two to four years, sure. is a little more approachable to people who understand beer because it will be, it would taste more like wit beer or Saison, but still be completely spontaneous, still be using all of those Colorado ingredients. It wouldn't require any additional cost or input because we are literally using those same ingredients again. And it would be at a lower price point that we could put into, we'll say, more standard beer bars because a person could then grab a large pour of it at a lower cost per, uh, per ounce, 
taste it, not necessarily having the educational barrier to get over and say, okay, this tastes like beer. This tastes like, uh, you know. So I like I like it for the sustainability because you don't have to buy all new ingredients. You're just using what you already had. Um, I like it for the low ABV. I sure, think yeah. I think a it could lighter be like two to three percent really which yeah feels on trend with what absolutely breweries are really trying to pursue yeah and then I think it's a more of a probably a mild flavor like really really approachable we could fruit it if we wanted um, to have a lot of varieties and then yeah we could turn it around quicker and we could charge less for it yeah so that's I think that is a way of staying true to our ethos true to history and actually most Belgians that are making the equivalent of Mertz at this point which are two breweries that I can name. Um, they're actually just doing an entire new mash with just uh, a, a smaller grist. So as far as I know, we would be one of the only people actually kind of following this, found any, yeah. Yeah, following this really obscure around, tradition. <laughs> but I think it's, uh, you know, A, that's part of the fun for us. It's a story. And it's also a way of being able to fill in some gaps in uh, our own repertoire while still being authentic to ourselves. Sure, niching down while expanding accessibility. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We yeah. love that. Uh, <laughs> we love this. <laughs> yeah, Eric. Same. Same question. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's super interesting looking at you know both being inspired by European traditions that have also uh, delivered to the people who are in that European country a very affordable and accessible product. Again, I mentioned just a minute ago the beers in this pub the guy was talking about are like $1.25 a piece. And in Belgium, when we visited, a, a liter of, of Lambic is eight, nine, 10 euros. I mean, it's a very affordable product. I think that's something that we both love about the styles that we've been inspired by, but is not replicatable here for a variety of reasons. Uh, maybe if you got to a massive scale, but there are producers on smaller scales who are able to make it work in those countries. So I think that that's, it's something that is kind of interesting and, and kind of frustrating about trying to replicate that because we know we can't do that. Uh, it's not possible in, in a city like, like Denver or really any city in the U.S. But I, I think for us, you know, the, the thing that we're, we're striving for is, is delivering uh, an experience to people. And I think being small and being taproom focused allows us to focus on that experience and for us, you know, we like Brandon said, we have a beer that is more approachable than a sour beer. At, at its core, most people that taste our beer, if they've had a beer, if they've had a pale beer, <laughs> have you like ever beer. have you ever had a beer? Beer tasting beer. <laughs> it's yeah. something that you're going to be able to. It may be different. You may not like it, but it's going to be recognizable, right? Whereas yeah. you put the primitive beer yeah. in front of them, it's not the same thing. It sure. takes <laughs> it takes time to explain why it got the way that it is. So we could certainly scale up and deliver that experience. But for us, again, the, the pub culture, the third space that exists in, in the Czech Republic, the reason that that beer is so popular, it was mostly draft beer. The most consumed beer in the Czech Republic by style is not actually the Pilsner or Kell style. It's it's a lower ABV style that comes in between three and a, three and a 3.3%, 3.9%. And that's what they're drinking, you know, 10 of and 12 of. And that's- From the tap, presumably. Yes, for, yeah, at, at a pub. They, they leave their house, they go to the pub, they spend every night probably with the same people yeah, yeah. just shooting the shit. And that's, that's the thing that we loved about the Czech culture. It wasn't, you know, the making something that's uh, unobtainable or whatever. And again, I know that Brandon and Lisa love that about the Belgian tradition, that the, the Lambic cafes, the, the places where you can have a pitcher of Lambic, and that's, again, it's that third it's space that yeah. you have. So that, that experience is, I think, really difficult from a 
economic perspective to, to scale up, um, you know, the, the costs to build a restaurant, a pub, a brewery these days are, are really, really high. And it's, it's something that, you know, we, we thought about, okay, should we expand? Should we package? People definitely ask us all the time to do that. But I think for us, it's, <laughs> it's, we, we can't deliver the same experience if we put it in that, that package. And so definitely from a, you know, economic look, we're, we're limiting ourselves in some ways, but I think we're staying true to what we want and we're on, you know, so far we've been able to hit the growth markers that we've wanted. We're on a five year basically growth plan to get it to a place to where it's much more sustainable as a business. But, um, it's, it's been interesting trying to find those notches and, and continue to build. But a lot of it, I think, you know, as we're entering into our third year of business, we're finding some of the same, you know, find your customers and starting to do more festivals and do more shipments to other places where they have a lucre tap and they can offer a similar experience and they're going to take care of the beer in the way that we want. And that's, you know, if that's where we find our growth, that's, I would rather do that than explore this, you know, this method of, of packaging that may come at a, a different uh, cost, if you will. Well, fellas, I, I really want to thank you guys for joining us on the show. Um, a big thank you to uh, Brandon and Lisa of Primitive and uh, Eric and Lisa of uh, Cohesion. Uh, I wanna, don't want to take you guys away from this event much longer, but I really appreciate you all taking a moment out of this GABF week to join us on the Porchcast. And, um, you know, we're such big fans of what both of you all are doing um, as breweries and, and continue to to yeah. grow and support guys uh this was an absolute pleasure i just want to say uh lisa wants to mention that we are in the cellar uh the underground kind of finished root cellar of goods there and i also want to say that you know you speak about czech tradition and drinking every day with the same people i think it's reasonable maybe we just spend a year podcasting every day in the yeah. same place yep uh, starting today and ending next GABF. I think we can. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we're uh, hard, <laughs> hard Brew Easy Drink is now a year long social experiment. When they say we started from the bottom, now we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is what they meant. This is the growth model. <laughs> yeah, I, I live in LA, but I'll make it work. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Telecommuting good. is a thing. <laughs> yeah, remote, remote work, right? Yeah. Well. <laughs> Well, the, the episode is going to continue. We'll let these guys uh, get back to it, and we'll join them upstairs here in a, in a little while longer to continue drinking with them. But uh, once again, a big thank you to Primitive Beer and Cohesion. Thank Brewing. you. Uh, Cheers, big guys. thank you guys for joining us on the show. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Now we're going to bring in Russell uh, again. Uh, B before we even start with GABF, I just want to say, like, I, I had Primitive for the first time at a festival, I think, last year i'm a huge fan of the spontaneous style anyway so really really love that and then i also at last year's gabf had cohesion for the first time because obviously it doesn't make its way to la and so uh it was the first beer that i had getting off the plane i came straight here i'd heard great things i went to cohesion i love lagers i've been to a, a, so many lager only places and i went there and that first sip it was like it was like looking the in the face of God <laughs> and God telling you that you are his most famous, his favorite creation, right? <laughs> like it was, it was just such a beautiful, like, and I did the milk, pour, I did the whole thing and it was, it was, it was, yeah, exactly. So like, I'm going to need that as a quote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Put it up in, in the, put it in the, and you're wearing a foamies for the homies shirt, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, so like, this is, I, 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 as Tristan's going to say in a minute, I do a bunch of TikToks 
and social media stuff about where to find the good beer and like in denver this these two this is the spots like straight yeah. up these are where you go like these are places that i always recommend to everybody hell yeah if if they're here when primitive is open obviously <laughs> you know <laughs> There you go. You can have primitive, and then, you know what? I think I, I think I did when I was there. I had literally every. I stayed the whole night. I had every cohesion beer that was there. I had all the degree differences like in a row, and I and and so I got to like experience it all. And I think I did have primitive there because I had not had it yet, and I was like, oh, let's let's give this a go. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was fantastic. So yeah, these are the real deal, is what I'm saying. Before we get to before we get to talking about good stuff at GABF. When well, you're in Denver, go check these guys out. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely give them a check out. Uh, they're doing some killer stuff. A big thank you once again to Primitive and Cohesion. Bye to both of the leases. <laughs> yeah, more yeah. drinks here in a bit. We'll Are make this fast so that we can get back to drinking. That's the Actually, we have a lot of beer here, so don't, don't let the joke I just told fool you. <laughs> well, I do want to say a big thank you. I know that we alluded to it before. A big thank you once again to Good Zur. Um, they focus primarily on spontaneous, uh, wild, and sour beers here in Denver. Really cool spot. They also have incredible food, um, and they're hosting the Hard Brew Easy Drink event tonight. Uh, and we are broadcasting, as we alluded to, in their basement. So Their tap list is nuts. Yeah, it's insane. It's crazy. Um, and, and it said on the website that they focus on sour beer and cheese. I can't think of a better combination oh yeah. To, to hear it's about. literally like decadence in a in a beer bar kind of form so tristan uh, was like we're, we're, uh, we're gonna do this at this place and i was like all right where are we going and i looked it up and the first thing it says on the website like, is sour okay, beer and cheese. Me up. i was like dude i'll podcast as long as you want let's <laughs> go <laughs> all right well uh i know that we we kind of did a full intro earlier but since we're you know fully going you and i russell a big big welcome back to the show um, thanks man uh, just want to give people a plug of where they can find you at the Beer Travel Guy Guide on TikTok, uh, and then also Russell H Beer on Instagram. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, there. Uh, so I ran to to run it back a little bit and to give a bit yeah, of the give us your history. backstory. N not remotely interesting. <laughs> I'll give it anyway. Why not? You're already listening. If you've been listening this long, then you can listen for two minutes about the uh, the backstory <laughs> of the Beer Travel Guide. Yeah, I uh, my wife travels for work a lot, and we got to a point where we love I, – I love what they were talking about, about community. Whenever we would go somewhere, we would go to local breweries really just to, like, talk to people and just to see what locals were drinking. And we would ask people, hey, what's the most popular thing here? What do you have? Um, and, you know, we'd end up drinking so much and we did this for so many places that our friends would start texting us all the time. Hey, I'm going on vacation here. Where should I go? I'm going on vacation here. Where should I go? And I did what any uh, normal, you know, psychotic would do. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start a podcast so none of you have to talk to me anymore. <laughs> you can just go to my pod, or not a podcast. Oh, my God. We're doing a podcast and I'm looking at the word podcast on my notes. A website, dude. I started a website, thebeertravelguide.com. Uh, it was fun, and it was going really well, and we were doing festival coverage, and then COVID struck, and travel was not a thing, and breweries were not open. So we let that go, and it occurred to me, you know, I'm a screenwriter by trade living in Los Angeles, so my job is writing, and my hobby is also writing. And that's a problem. <laughs> that's not good. That's a bad combo of things. 
And over the pandemic, I discovered TikTok. And so I started TikToking, as the kids do. And, uh, no cap. Uh, yeah, correct. Uh, uh, Doug Vilicki, the beer aficionado, you know, I, I interacted with him some and started to learn some things about, you know, like w- where my niche on TikTok would come. And uh, it started to go really well. And I realized, huh, I could spend eight hours putting together an article where I write every where I drink all the beer and I write everything up and I put in all the links and I put in all the pictures and I format it all and I do all of the things that are required for a post. I'm writing, I'm editing, I'm doing all the stuff. And then you're, we were getting pretty good viewership, but it paled in comparison to what a 30-second TikTok would get. A 30-second you know, TikTok it gets me 20 times the views. The journalist in me is quietly weeping in a pool of his own uh, mucus right now. But that's, your, but that's a job. If, if you're doing this as <laughs> your job, I was doing it as a hobby. Oh, man. I'm doing it as a hobby. Uh, let me, let me tell true. you, we are not making diddly squat off of that's porch true. drinking. Well, but then... Then portraying you should do more TikToks. Yes, <laughs> that is that is the lesson that we have all That's learned the here lesson today. We're learning here. So out of sheer sloth, I started doing uh, TikToks, and people really started to like it. And so I basically segued out of doing the website and updating the website, which is really unfortunate because all my business cards have a link to the website on it. <laughs> um, and I started doing the TikTok, and at the last GABF, I you know I, I figured we were doing pretty well with the TikTok. My wife and I, who started the website with me, she doesn't do many of the TikToks, but occasionally. And we went to GABF last year, and so many people came up to me and were like, "Dude, we saw your well, TikTok. Dude, we connected." Love. Yeah, we connected at GABF last year. I'm pretty sure. Like, well, a we, little bit beforehand. We a little before we connected yeah. the anniversary party. That's true. That's which might true. have been the first time I tried up like numerous primitive. Were they? Were they, they were. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I made sure to try everything that they had there, and that was great. Well, um, one of the reasons why yeah. I think you and I kind of vibe on the same level is that we have very similar interest in two polar opposite teams. <laughs> uh, but. No, uh, I think we, we do. I think we have a similar mindset when it comes to beer of how can we make beer fun and interesting and playful. And I think yeah. that's something that you absolutely crush on TikTok is that you, you make beer really fun. And I think there's so much of this industry that get takes themselves way too seriously. And so yeah. I think it's very refreshing to have you know people like you who are injecting a whole new life into this industry so that you know that's that's one reason that i felt like you'd be such a great fit uh, to, to join us on the podcast tonight but also just connecting in general and um you know one of the things that you and i instantly like connected on was our love for college basketball so sure you know we want to we, we got we can't get too far <laughs> into the podcast without at least mentioning oh that. god we could we could do a whole podcast on just Duke, tell people Duke about your Kentucky. your alter ego that is uh, that is also focused on this other niche area of, of the world. I'm a big Duke basketball guy. Uh, I went to Duke. Uh, I was raised on Duke basketball, and then I went to Duke, and I uh, have been a Duke basketball guy ever since. And you've been slapping the floor ever since. Slapping the floor ever since, like Wojo. Wojo's a very nice guy, by the way. <laughs> uh, I waited tables when I went, I went back to Duke to actually uh, work for the theater department there after I graduated. And uh, working for a theater department, nobody listening to this will be surprised to hear, doesn't pay especially well. What? So I waited tables, as a normal working class person would do, and I got to meet a lot of Duke like uh, players and coaches that way because they would come into the restaurant. And Wojo was the nicest. He was the most generous tipper. He was uh, a super swell guy. How about Grayson and- Allen? Uh, Grayson did not come in. Grayson was after me. Okay. Grayson was after me. I was there, 
you know, right around that, like, 2010, 2011, 2009, I, I was in that wheelhouse. Kyrie never came in, but I knew people who took classes with Kyrie. Um, he did a lot of theater classes, so a lot of my theater oh, cool. buddies, uh, did, which people who watch Kyrie's live feeds on Instagram probably aren't terribly surprised by. <laughs> so, you know, um, I, when Tristan told me he was a big Kentucky fan, I said, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> you know, uh, it's okay. Um, and every time we text with one another, I always end up putting in some reference to Christian Leitner. Just, you know, uh, it's my it's my birthright. It's my just, birthright. Just to reawaken the six-year-old me that, that was weeping uh, and, and the first, like, kind of formative memories of college basketball. Just you I know. think that was the second game I was allowed to stay up late to watch oh. ever in my life. The first one being the 1991 championship game against Kansas where uh, Grant Hill did the one-handed alley-oop slam dunk. And uh, from that moment on, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to spend the rest of my life obsessed with this. Well, I, we, we talked about this earlier, t- and we're not going to keep the podcast on Kentucky <laughs> and you mean, Duke. You mean listeners of the Porchcast don't want to hear about college basketball over <laughs> and over again? I'm but, shocked. But the one thing that I will respect is that you are true and true a, a full-on Duke fanatic, and you sure. know your history – and, you know, <laughs> you, you also know pretty much every single historic Duke basketball player, unlike uh, a lot of my interactions with other Duke fans. So, uh, you know, I, I will give you credit I'm not, there. I'm not just a kid from South Jersey. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, correct. Yes. Well, uh, you know, getting back on the, on the beer side of things. Sure. Russell, you know, we, we connected last year during GABF. Um, we're excited to be back here with you for this year's GABF. So excited. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, what has you most amped up going into this year's festival? So I think the things that amp me up about festivals in general tend to be uh, – so I, part of my brand on TikTok and on the website and everything else was – you know, we travel a bunch of places, so I know about beer from a bunch of places. And it got to the point where on Instagram, I would start trading with people from a variety of states just so I could learn about the beer from their states. So I have a strange – I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I can remember a ton of breweries from a ton of different places. And part of what I love about festivals is you discover new places. You you learn about – Breweries from Alabama that I'll, I'll never visit in person. Like, I, no offense to listeners from Alabama, but, like, why would I go to Alabama? I live in Los Angeles. It's, I don't have family there, right? There's no reason for me to go to Alabama or Arkansas or Kansas or West Virginia or a bunch of these states, right? Um, which uh, there are lovely people and lovely brewers who work there. But there's just no reason for me to go there. But I love knowing what the beer scene is like. And these festivals are a phenomenal opportunity for somebody like me who is obsessed with that to learn about new breweries in addition to getting to encounter some of the breweries that I've met in years past and figure out, you know, like what they're working on now, how they're doing now. Um, And the breweries that uh, we were talking upstairs, the breweries that uh, bring their own people there who bring, you know, their brewers, who bring their sales reps, who bring people who day in and day out, like, blood, sweat, and tears are in this brewery. When you get to go to a festival, 
and you get a beer pour from one of those people and they can talk to you about their experience and you get to talk to them about what you've experienced with their beer. Uh, it's just really wonderful. And well, so I, I love that. I think that's also something that is very unique about us. I think we both share kind of that element of, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, who, when would I ever go to Alabama? But we, we both have kind of this very bizarre niche skill where we can easily recall at least a handful of breweries from Alabama sure. right off the top of our head. I'd like Arkansas, to think so. Arkansas, you mentioned Arkansas. We, I, I immediately think of, like, Ozark beer. and like you Ozark know, is really good. Ozark is really good. And then you, we, but also, like, similarly, we talk about – we've done this on the website before where, you know, signs that you're – you know, what are 50 signs that you're a beer fanatic or you take your beer fanaticism too, too seriously, too seriously, where, you know, you can name an obscure city – in in podunk you know idaho and we can immediately bring up the the hype brewery that's located in that in that city and so you know shout out to social project from bentonville arkansas by (laughs) the way which i've had their beer and it's really good right like there's there's good breweries everywhere if you know where to look and again, that's kind of what I hope that I can bring to the table. A lot of my TikToks are just jokes. And then I do a bunch of TikTok lives and I, I ask in every live, tell me where you live. I'll tell you the best craft beer near you to the oh, best totally. of my ability. Yeah. And, and I think that's those are a lot of fun. That is a completely useless skill that we both share <laughs> uh, that if, you know, the we were if we were to face a zombie apocalypse, uh, I can name obscure breweries in, in random parts of the United States and it won't help and the, me and, 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 and yeah, the, kind of survival no, skills zombies will be impressed by that i think zombies <laughs> like beer the same way the rest of us do if i have enough beer i turn into a zombie so yeah shout out to my friends from beer zombies by the way speaking of <laughs> there we good go segue well going back to the topic what uh because of you know all of these different you know connections and and uh interactions with breweries from all across the country for for those because we're hoping to publish this tomorrow uh right before you know the, the morning of the festival the, the day one of the festival what what should folks be most excited about heading into the 2023 Great American Beer Festival? Uh, you know, aside from the obvious, you know, we've got the Firestone Walkers, the bo- Bottle Logics, the Peer Projects. But what are some some breweries that maybe might be a little bit more under the radar for, you know, the casual beer fan? I mean, I I have a huge list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let me let me start by just saying I things that I'm excited about are uh there's a big non-alcoholic beer uh, area this year yeah that's obviously very on trend and the listeners of this might agree with me i haven't had a ton of non-alcoholic beer that i think is very good yeah like i feel like athletic brewing kind of carved that niche out and they're pretty uh, good yeah they've cornered the market but uh yeah i've had a couple of others that you know dependent on the style are fine but like at the end of the day, I'm a big hop water guy over non-alcoholic. Yes, amen. Because uh, if I'm going to not drink booze, let it be zero calories and let it be cheaper. Absolutely. Which is general. Going back to the conversation that uh, we were having with Eric earlier, yeah. you know, price point being a huge part of this. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see what non-alcoholic brings to the table. Uh, there are a lot of non-alcoholic beers that are going to be poured there uh, that I think are really cool. Some really cool spots that i want to bring up um false idol i also don't know the degree to which some of these are perceived nationwide so like if i just mention something that literally everybody loves and is already a bit then interrupt me and tell me dude russell we get it 
Um, False Idol, look, if you like hazy IPAs, for my money, they're the best hazy IPA in Texas. Like, you, you can't find a better one. I've been all over Texas. I've tried a lot of them. Tried them in Dallas and Houston and Austin and San Antonio. False Idol, straight up. Uh, terrific hazy IPA game. Terrific beer in general. They're also really good with the stout game. There's some, oh man, I forget, on the porch drinking uh, events that are happening uh, during GABF week, which you should go read that article if you have not, cheap plug. Uh, False Idol is somewhere this week uh, pouring a stout, and I don't remember which event it is, but their stouts are also really good. And if you, especially if you're into the pastry stout game, that's a great uh, that's a great one to seek out, uh, kind of on the more obscure side. Uh, what's the public perception of seeds? Um, you know, are in on seeds. People, I don't think people are, they're out of Michigan, correct? Yeah, beer beer people are in on seeds. Yes, but are the I don't uh, think the general public is aware of seeds. I first had seeds with Doug, beer aficionado on Instagram okay. and TikTok. He uh, poured me a saison from them that really sort of blew me away. That's all I've had from them ever. Um, they were on my list to check out as well this they, year. So. Uh, the Saison is very good, and the uh, perception that I have heard from people that are in the know is very high. Uh, so I'm very excited for that. Uh, bow and Arrow. Oh, yeah. Bow and Arrow. Bow and Arrow, I think, is a little bit more well-known in this part of the region just because they're, sure. you know, uh, just, is it southwest. S- uh, they're adjacent to California. Uh, yeah, they're Colorado. in New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people from arguably the best place in Albuquerque. Yes. Absolutely. Which means you're probably arguably the best place in New Mexico. <laughs> um, Not to sell La Cumbre short. I mean, La Cumbre still La Cumbre they're a little really bit more old school. They're very good at the your lagers, your West Coast IPAs, yep. your traditional styles. Uh, if you like your sours and like especially like your uh, you know, spontaneous. I think they do some spontaneous stuff. Um, your barrel stuff, your your IPA stuff. Yep. Um, I went and tried most of the breweries in Albuquerque when I was there, and Bow and Arrow was one of you know like the two or three that really blew me away. Lacumbre was really good as well. Gravity Bound, another one I really liked. Um, but Bow and Arrow's here, so they're the only one that matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> And I'm very, very excited to check them out. I also believe they are uh, they're native owned. Yep. I think they're female owned as well. Correct, two female um, owners. But you know, again, more importantly than being native owned or female owned, they are great regardless of owner. Great they beers. They are phenomenal in terms of making fantastic beer, and uh, everybody should check them out for for any reason that you want to go there. Um, Ghost Town, you had texted me about Ghost Town uh, to make sure to mention. I mean, them. you're yeah, a big Cal- California guy, and so I feel Ghost like great. Yeah, Ghost Town is, is still one that hasn't really fully made its way out here, and this is their first year kind of making a bigger splash at JBF. They're in a number of different events around town, yeah. and they're all over the festival in, like, the guild section, the collab section, and obviously on the, on the festival floor as well. Yeah. But their their IPA game is is really strong. I think from California, Ghost Town, yeah, the IPA game, Morgan Territory, uh, which like I don't think they're even under the radar. They've meddled eight of the last nine oh, yeah. years here totally. at GABF. They won for Oktoberfest two years running now. Um, so you know, keep your eyes peeled for any of their sort of Mars and uh, Dort, you know, German style Oktoberfest stuff that they've got going on. Um, I want to like, I know that they're already big. But I still think they're underrated as Radiant. Oh, yeah. 
last year, won at GABF, yep. won at World Beer Cup, I believe. Yep, they won the IPA award. What's the, Alpha, the name of it? Alpha yep. King Challenge. They won the Alpha King Challenge. So last year was a huge year of, of GABF because I know that they won Alpha King on Friday and then won like one of the Brewery of the Year awards and multiple medals at GABF. I saw the day Andrew after. on Saturday and he had the big Alpha King crown or whatever on the table and. He was pretty restrained, as he, like, <laughs> tends to be uh, in my interactions with him. He's just, like, a very, like, even-keeled dude. Yeah. Um, not really like, a, yeah, we're crushing it. Um, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, it's been really good. Did um, he give you at least one king of the castle? King of the castle, king of the castle. <laughs> he gave me a photo or two <laughs> of, uh, of a smile. Um, which is which is good. If, if y'all don't know, Andrew uh, is one of the guys uh, from the brewery, sort of from the peak brewery years. And, you know, some of the best dudes from that run have branched out in Orange County, uh, like Jeremy, uh, Sour Jesus on Instagram, and uh, Daniel have started everywhere in Orange, California, which is a phenomenal place you should check out. And then Radiant is in, I believe, Anaheim proper, uh, and they're going to be at GABF. And, like, I know that they've got hype behind them now. You can tell from their – they're featured at more and more of the events here in Denver. Yep. Um, if they don't have one of the three longest lines at GABF, then they're a steal. Oh, yeah. Like, you've got to go check them out before their stuff kicks. Um, and then another shout-out that I want to give to a, a California spot, Faction Brewing. They won uh, gold – for their pre-prohibition lager last year in the American cream ale section for some reason, oh, wow. which I tried it before it won gold and I was blown away and I thought it was fantastic as a guy who loves lagers. Uh, look, I don't know why it's an American cream ale, but I'll tell you this, it's really good. And uh, I, they deserved a gold medal. I don't care the category, right? It's like <laughs> it's like how Green Cheek will sometimes submit like uh, – a beer at this festival under this category and at a different one un under another category, but it wins at both. Yeah. And you're like, well, it's a really good beer, so I don't care <laughs> what category. They they deserve all the medals. Sure, right? it's a Mexican lager. I don't care. <laughs> sure, why not? Let's call it that. But yeah, the pre-prohibition lager, which I saw is on the poor list for faction. Yeah. If you love lagers is one really worth checking out from California. I mean, I could do this all day. Yeah. I... I mean, like, uh, let me run down a couple, like, swiftly others that I wrote down. Uh, Altstat from Texas. Oh, yeah. If you love lagers, they won some award last year. Um, they very nicely once sent me, like, their their whole everything they have. Oh, nice. And so I got to do just the tasting menu of everything they have. That's incredible. They have um, – they abide by, like, a German purity law. Yeah that I don't remember the year. It's a specific German purity law that, like, super uh, beer nerds will know. They make their beer by that purity law. Behind the right, Reinheitsgebot? Sure, and it's so good. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just really great. You should check them out. They're, you, they're like the beer stat of Texas, right? Yeah. The and, beer you know, stat lager house and, of Texas. And, and speaking about, you know, people who do really good lager things, Live Oak obviously has a really good reputation, but the Grodziski they do. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think doing anything that is remotely smoked at a festival is a dangerous game because uh, it can just blow your palate. I think that that 
does a beautiful job. Last year, for whatever reason, you were asking me like what w- seemed to be popular like at the festivals. Or yeah, last year there was a lot of smoked beer. Oh like, yeah, it, it, which was very very odd. Um, I don't was think John it's back. Hall just like running the festival. I don't know. Like I he's he's the biggest fan of smoked beers. I feel like whatever it was, I had a lot of them last year, and so who knows whether the things I tasted were actually good or not. But this was uh, genuinely really good. Very very light on the smoke it has that perfect balance that you would expect from live oak it's funny because like texas breweries and lagers i mean like we've come to we've come to know texas for being like the some of the one of the best states for lagers you you talked about allstott you talked about abgb and then live oak and then you abgb was the other one that i was going to reference like they're they're bringing the house i think they've got three or four lagers that are just going to be absolutely popping and uh yeah it's stoked to see them there and you know i i know that they're not at the festival this year but even pint house does some really good lagers as well Pint House is phenomenal lagers super good um two more i want to give a quick shout out in terms of people who love if you if you like the stuff that's a little more hyped if you like your your hazies your pastry stouts your fruited sours if you like this stuff bearded brewer artisan ales Mm. from nebraska and they're actually opening a location here in Colorado. Are you yeah, kidding I'm me? I'm serious, yeah. I didn't know that. I'm going to have to talk to the guys about that yeah. um, when I see them. It may um, already even be open. I, I'm not entirely sure. but uh, In Denver? I, uh, I believe it's in Longmont. Wow. So, like, where Primitive is, is located. But, uh, yeah. I didn't know that. This yeah. is breaking news to me. Um, the guys there are super nice. And, again, when I... I'm not like a big fruited sour guy, so when somebody tells me, oh, this is like a blueberry cotton candy sour or whatever, that doesn't necessarily like <laughs> light my world on fire. Always skeptical. But I tell you what, if you like shit that tastes like blueberry cotton candy, like, dude, this is so tasty. Like, I, it, if you want to, like, try to argue whether it's beer or not or, like, whether it's a beery beer, you argue all you want. If you want some shit that tastes really delicious. Yeah. Bearded Brewer is a great place to seek out. And then another one that's from a state that I will never go to, uh, Gideon's uh, has a mango habanero sour. So it is a spicy sour okay. that I had last year. Um, and where are they based out of? They're based out of North Dakota. Okay. <laughs> sure. I don't even know the city in North Dakota. Man, big shout out to my friends from North Dakota, man. Like, I... Love that whole region, like your Montanas, your South Dakotas, your Idaho. Like, I love all that. Like, the chances of me going through there, unless I'm on, like, a big hiking road trip, are really, really slim. But, like, shout out to all my friends who are up in that space because they decided to move there because real estate was really cheap. And Gideon's, um, I tried last year because, again, I try things from states that I don't get beer from. Oh, so I tried sure. a bunch of the shit from Gideon's. And the big standout, again, you, uh, mango habanero sour is one of those things where you hear it and you're like, well, that's Does not, not compute. That's not, that's not something you see every day. Really, really good. I Like, I don't know if it won something. I, I wish I wrote down better notes. Dude, um, I mean, those whether are. Whether it won something or not, it won my heart. It, it was very, very good in a way that I wouldn't have expected. And again, most people, if you heard that and you think, I am not into that. Then, then don't try it. Yeah, sure. Right? Then don't try it. Like, same for the blueberry, whatever the whatever sour-bearded brewer has. The people who want that know who they are. And if you want that, these guys are making great, great versions of that. 
that again, there's gonna be no there's gonna be no line for Gideon's. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, they deserve a better line than they're gonna get. Same for Bearded Brewer. Bearded Brewer is gonna have some of the best hype beer at the festival. Is gonna be my sure anticipation like if you love pastry stouts and hazies like their shit is sublime across the board and you're probably going to be able to go up there without a massive line um i do know that their fruited sours kicked last year yeah so maybe those maybe people are on to that we, we had them on our maybe list last year as well okay but, so uh, maybe, maybe people are on to the fruited sour train but like i think they're still kind of flying under the radar a little I bit but uh they should be way as higher. soon as they open that that colorado location i think i know that That's the people around this region will be pretty excited as well i know people like to, at least i like to look up the untapped score of the brewery and i know that doesn't really mean anything sure um and especially when you're in a state that is farther away from other beer it's going to be a little elevated based on the fact of well you are by far the best in your area that yep. doesn't mean a four in Nebraska might not mean a four in California. Yeah, like a, like or a whatever. New York ten or your New sure. York eight. You know, but I think that Bearded Brewer is a. If they were in California, they'd they'd be a four. Okay. And I mean, I, I like I just think that in terms of the stuff that especially Untapped really loves and that hype beer really loves. I'm not trying to be derogatory by saying that. I'm just trying to be like fact of the matter, right? If you love sure. lagers and West Coast IPAs, I don't know that they're gonna have. That they might have a West Coast IPA, but like in their terms specialty. of their their hazy their stuff and their pastry style stuff and their fruited sour stuff is phenomenal. That's so awesome. uh yeah. Those are the big things that I wrote down. I, that's a huge list of things that like I've had before. Yep. There are other things that I haven't had before that, that I'm gonna seek out. Um Buck Wild from Oakland. Yeah, they were definitely interesting to me in looking at the list as well. They're gluten-free. They won the best gluten-free beer uh gold last year as a hazy IPA, which to me really doesn't compute. You would think that a gluten-free beer that would win an award like that would not be a hazy. So that is interesting to me, and I'm really excited to see what they're about. I have a lot of friends who are gluten-free. Um, certainly in the Bay Area, there's a lot of people who are gluten free. Oh, yeah. You know, so like I think that that uh, is really really cool. And again, much like non-alcoholic beer, I think finding really good beer that is gluten free or uh, available to people who might have uh, restrictions that prevent them from drinking other beer, um, I think is going to be really good. And then deep draft brewing, um, I've never had them. So I'm not going to say that they're great or not. They do German-style lagers and ales. Um, they have a 3.76 on untapped, which for a place that does only German-style lagers, that might as well be a 4.2 on yeah, untapped. for sure. Um, I'm definitely going to seek them out. I, are they good? Are they not? I don't know, but I tell you what, if you're bringing a full lager slate to GABF, then you've won my heart before I've even tried it. Oh, dude. And so you're speaking my language like, you know, yeah. one of the things that I it's love doing, it's, it's another alt stat kind of deal. I don't remember where they're from. I wish I'd written down where Deep Draft is from. I'll look it up while you talk here. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, one of the things that I really love nerding out with when it when it comes to GABF is is looking at the poor list and, you know, just really geeking out over, you know, what breweries are bringing. I go through untapped. I, I, I search through poor list and see you know what styles people are, are focused on and and for a brewery to either bring you know what what really has my attention if you're bringing a boatload of loggers yeah or if you're doing you know wild spontaneous stuff and then bringing a couple of those or bringing a couple barrel aged stouts you're like yeah. okay you're swinging big in some form not always going to be the case that it's 
you know, going to be a home run. Yeah. But more than likely, you know, if, if you're if you're brave enough to, to bring those styles yeah. on the biggest platform of beer, then yeah. you're likely doing something right. And really, the barrel-aged stouts and the big spontaneous sours, there's going to be enough people that are really into that yeah. that will still attract lines. Sure. The lager stuff is stuff that just, like, doesn't attract lines. Totally. At, at breweries. So if you're slate – and Deep Drafts, they're from Bremerton, Washington. Their top three most popular beers, according to Untapped, are a Kolsch, a Czech Pilsner, and an Alt beer. I mean, like, that – that's speaking my language in a big way. I like love I, it. Again, I don't know who they are. If you're listen, if if by any chance you're listening to this and you're from Deep Draft, God bless you. And I'm <laughs> definitely going to try your beer probably tomorrow. Yeah. Um. And I'm really really stoked that you and Alt uh, Stat and uh, some of the other spots that are doing this are going to be bringing their just like full all lager all the time. I love it. Slate. It's going to be great. Yeah. Well, Russell, uh, I want to give you a big thank you. I know we could go on for literally hours, but uh, uh, I know that this this is going to be dropped in the morning of the festival, so we don't want to. Also, this this cellar is apparently going to collapse. Yeah, I think so. we're we're about uh, past our time, <laughs> but you know, Russell, uh, we definitely want to have you back on the show here soon um, because. I think we have a similar way of, of approaching beer, and uh, I really enjoy talking to you, man. Well, we've got to do our big March Madness. That's right. Uh, teasing idea that we had. it. We're teasing it. Uh, maybe if we tease it enough, then it'll force pe- – Then the listeners we got to find some this, sponsors. Yeah, the listeners of this will be like, ooh, I really want that. Yep. We want to do a March Madness thing in which we're doing actual bl- – like everybody does a March Madness bracket with the real NCAA tournament bracket where it's, oh – uh, we're picking a brewery from near this college, and we're just like saying who our favorites are, and you yeah. go down the line. And certainly, I did that on TikTok, and every beer blog yep. ever has done this. What we think is a really good idea is getting getting actual beer from all of these breweries and doing blind taste testing with all of this beer and advancing through the, the bracket, bracket. Yep. based exclusively on blind taste testing no bias no anything else no like oh uh if it's ucla and it's highland park brewery uh, it'd probably be usc highland park brewery one of my favorite breweries ever if there's if i heard highland park brewery i would just automatically advance them to the final four oh, just totally. like straight up but it would be really interesting if I had to blind taste test one of my favorite breweries of all time, Highland Park Brewery, against somebody else. Yep. Right? Because maybe I don't advance my favorite one of my favorite breweries of all time, right? Yeah, so who's to say, you know. It'd be so pure. It'd be so pure. It would just take a lot of logistics. I can't wait to see the Highland Park Brewery matchup with, uh, you know, Live Oak out of Austin. Uh, or probably not Live Oak since you, it's so far but out there. You but You know what would be it would be? It would be Highland Park. It would be USC as like a three seed or a four seed versus a mid-major from nowhere still, yeah. right? And if we can Like a get, Rhode Island. <laughs> if we can get... <laughs> I like that Rhode Island is Nowheresville to you. I meant more like some somewhere in in like not one of the five big cities in Texas, but like you know what I mean, like sure. one of like the ones that's seven hours from anywhere else, yep. right? Like stuff like that. But maybe they make a really good beer that happens that day to speak to my palate. It could be a little bit more, right? I think if you we could do a blind taste test, it would just take so much logistically, and so we would Absolutely. love a sponsor. Um, and we're also going to plan it further than like two weeks in advance like we did this year. <laughs> so that might help. Um, yeah, I think that that'd be really great. I'd love to be back. Yeah. I'd love to be back. Cool. Well, Russell, I can't wait to enjoy some beers with you on the festival floor, uh, for this year's GABF. And, uh, we'll be at rare beer. I'm going to cover, I'm going to help cover rare right. beer 
for porch drinking. Tristan was very generous to bring me yep. onto the team. Uh, I'm very, very stoked. This is my first year going to Rare Beer, uh, a phenomenal event for a phenomenal cause. Uh, pints for prostates. Pints for prostates. I might. Are you going to go do a uh, the like the blood test beforehand? I or think whatever? so. I think it's I time. Re- I really might. I just. <laughs> I did a colonoscopy last year. Maybe people don't hey, even know that. I've been in that situation too. So <laughs> you know what? So maybe I don't. We're need getting all old. The, maybe I don't need all the dates, but like you know, it never. When we're getting into the late thirties, it never hurts to have more details. That's right. Got to right? take care of your health. Every, everybody's got to do that. Can I plug my stuff? Yeah, once absolutely. More I want we close absolutely out? wanted to have you plug your stuff. The Where beer, can people find you? The beer travel guide on TikTok. Again, we're doing a lot of cool stuff there. Even if you're not on TikTok. Go check out those videos uh, on Instagram. I'm Russell H. Beer. That's where I post just what I'm having on a daily basis. Also, the beer travel guide on Instagram. I, I post on Reels sometimes some of the, the TikToks that do really well. Admittedly, I don't post enough there. It's mostly Russell H. Beer. But I think that that's a, a really fun place so you can find me. Uh, if you love uh, Duke basketball, Duke better on Twitter. No, 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 no you need to follow that one. Or X or whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, and I'm also a, uh, a screenwriter, and if you or uh, your loved one loves Hallmark Christmas movies, the movie The Santa Summit is going to air November 5th, 8 p.m., uh, so please set your DVRs. If you love Hallmark Christmas movies, this is going to be – I haven't seen any of them, and I'm pulling this completely out of my ass. This is going to be the best one of the year. I'm well, just going to call in it. In general, I, we, just a reminder <laughs> to our, our listeners to support our writers and uh, – Yes. The SAG after group, uh, you know, we those those billionaires that are uh, executives at Netflix and Disney, they don't need any more money. I mean, we got to we got to end the strike. By David Zaslav only drinks milkshake IPAs. Oh, God, definitely not supporting him. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Russell, thank you so much. Uh, we definitely will have you back on the show here very soon. And I uh, can't wait to spend the rest the rest of the weekend with you drinking some killer beers. Thanks, brother. Same. A big thank you to our friends at ONTAP Credit Union. Visit them at ONTAPCU.org and the payroll department. Once again, this has been episode 108 of the Porchcast. We will check you later.